Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is a leading provider of lines of credit to small businesses and nonprofit organizations. Our line of credit program is fast, easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan for your organization. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at www.fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, Credit Line. Dot com, or give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember, the time to set the line of credit is before you need it, so that when you do need it, it's ready to go. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Andrea, also go, as she goes by the name of Andy Simon, from Simon Associates Management Consultants. Andy uh, is the principal and founder of Simon uh, Associates Management Consultants, SAMC, and she launched SAMC in 2002 to bring the methods, tools, and theories of anthropology to businesses that needed or wanted to change. A frequent speaker, workshop presenter, and consultant, Andy has developed SAMC into a leading firm in its field. She has a very successful award-winning book, where she now has two books out. Um, the first book, which is very successful, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, uh, and her second book, uh, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, which is just out now. Uh, Dr. Simon has won numerous, numerous Andy and Astor Awards for her marketing and advertising campaigns. She is well a well-published author and article with articles in Forbes, Business Week, and numerous publications and other online blogs. Andy, welcome to today's uh, Entrepreneur MBA podcast. What a pleasure to be here, Steve. I listened to several of yours, and you're a great interviewer. Well, that's nice of you to say. I don't think anybody's ever said that, and it's always nice to hear a compliment, and I appreciate that. Um, I tell you, I'm always interested in the topics, and that's one of the advantages is I I uh, ask good questions because they're on my mind. So, And I'm going to put you through the same ringer. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so today's topic is really based on your your latest book, uh, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business and in Nonprofits. And you know what? I'm going to be, I'm gonna be uh, uh, truthful with you. Uh, I feel like I am unusual in that I just feel like, yeah, women in business and nonprofits. Okay. Yeah. Well, what else is new? Okay. That's been going on for 50 years. I mean, the women, my first manager when I started, uh, when I was 22 years old was a woman and that was no big deal. Both my sisters are very successful business people. That's no big deal. Uh, and there's still people out there who think there's myths about women in business and nonprofits. Is there? I think you're not a woman. <laughs> That's Definitely the right answer. I, I agree with you. Um, Have you ever sat at a board meeting with 49 men, a nun, and you? And um, you were an executive in a large bank sitting at the board. Did you think you would say a lot? And uh, how about as an entrepreneur where everybody told you, well, women can't do that. And so you build a business and sell it for lots of money because women can. I mean, think of the myth and what is a myth anyhow. We live myths. 
Yeah. The way our brains work is we create an illusion. We think it's reality and that's what we live. Uh, but if you were a woman trying to succeed in all kinds of ways, you'd find a different platform or landscape for you to do it on, but you're a man. And it's hard for you to imagine what it might be like for women who are told, oh, women can't do that, or women don't do that, or that's not for women, or they break into a place and the guys really don't want them there. So they don't even talk to them at lunch. I mean, it's it's a, a culture that we have is ready for a great transformation. It's happening, uh, but slowly and with great effort. And I do think we're the barbarians at the gate, and a lot of guys don't like to let you in. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm completely aware when I'm in any type of meetings or, you know, when I'm dealing with, uh, doesn't have to be women, it could be whatever, uh, I'm cognizant of the way that, uh, they might feel because of society putting, uh, barriers up. So I, of course I change my style to make sure that, you know, to whoever I'm speaking with feels, I don't want to say included and I don't like the right way to articulate it, but I'm not um, unaware of the, uh, the, uh, uh, the way people sometimes are treated. And I don't don't want to be um, uh, either aggressive or defensive here, but let me give you some stories to think about. Please. Uh, A good friend of mine, is president of a large insurance company. And she reminds us of how many times she was the coat girl. She would go into Lloyd's of London and uh, all guys, they'd all walk in, they'd give her the coats to hang up, not knowing she was the big person there uh, that they were going to sign a big deal with. Um, she's gone into speaking in front of mostly a room of guys. And she they walk in, they give her the coats to hang up. <laughs> and, and she's highly successful, very capable. But the... Um, uh, the role, I often think that life is nothing more than a big stage and we're performing on it. And in their minds, that must be the code girl. Um, and then I have another friend who's an attorney, a partner in a large firm. And she said, you'd be amazed how many times I go into my own firm. I'm a partner there. I'm a successful person. I'm on the compensation committee. And they asked me to get tea and coffee for them. And then when we're done, who's going to clean up? And then the story of the woman who's in a meeting and the guys say to her, oh, you take notes. And she said, why? because you take them well. Why? Why can't you take notes? So the stereotypes and the behaviors, and then not long ago, last month, I was listening to a bunch of guys talk about how hard it is to diversify their companies. And as I was listening, and I was just an observer, they said, yeah, it takes us three months to recruit someone, and three months later, they're gone. And and I said to myself, I don't think you realize that they're not a diversity number. They're a, a very talented person, whether they're black or Asian or Latino or male or, or gay or whatever. And your culture has to begin to talk differently, act differently, welcome them differently. Um, so the times they are changing, but it's hard for you to see it unless I dress you up and bring you into a room where you're the only uh, dressed up girl with a bunch of guys and can actually, I mean, it's all experiential, um, but we've all, uh, gotten past the point of caring too much, only caring about changing it for the next generation. And that was the origins of the book. You know, let's talk about the book a little bit. Tell me a little bit about some of the highlights uh, that you cover. Sure. The book came about because my husband, who is a serial entrepreneur and very successful, sold his business in 2013, 17. And the two of us formed the Simon Initiative for Entrepreneurship at Washington University. 
He's an alum and a donor, and I was a professor there teaching entrepreneurship in 2006. And we wanted to do something, you know, this purpose, this desire to help. So we created this initiative in the Scandalera Center there to help women entrepreneurs and men entrepreneurs, but women in particular. They needed better networking, better mentoring, more education about things. And what I heard and listened to them talk about was they wanted role models. They didn't want to be Sheryl Sandberg, corporate executive. They wanted to be Maxine Clark, great innovator who built Build-A-Bear workshops from an idea. And so how could they without enough role models? So I started to write my book. I was really interested in the problem of providing good, talented role models, not of stars, but just of great people. That could be you or me. I did 50 interviews and I started to assemble the book and I was reading the stories to my husband as we were driving to Nantucket and he said, you know, they're smashing the myths of women in business. And I went, oh my gosh, that's a much better book. And I went back and rewrote it because it wasn't just their stories that were so powerful. It was what they were denying or defying or smashing that people said they couldn't do. So each of the women in there, and I'm there as well, um, were told, no, you can't. One of my favorite is Andy Kramer, a wonderful, successful attorney who was told by a family friend, you don't want to be a lady lawyer. No, lady lawyers are not successful. They can't litigate. They're not decisive. All the negatives. So what did she do? Became a great lady lawyer. And she tells the story of being on the compensation committee of her law firm. And the guys all wrote their reviews as if they had climbed the Empire State Building to save the damsel in distress and save the client $500 million they were losing. The women all wrote their performance reviews about how the team worked together so we could collaboratively decide on how to do things and save the client from ever needing, you know, to capture the $500 million. Very different. And the guys got promoted and got the salaries and the women said, thank you. At which point she realized that how we present ourselves when it's a guy world who's evaluating it matters in very important ways. She's now working really hard to mentor and help other women. There are 400,000 women attorneys today, but only 27% of the partners, of the equity partners, are women. And a lot of women reach a point where they just jump off. Another story. Um, Let's see, which one is one of my favorite? Ah, Stephanie Breedloff, great lady, um, was at Accenture. And had two boys. And what she realized was that nannies and nanny taxes were all very complicated. And began to dig into who and how do I figure out how to pay my nanny's taxes. I realized she, there was nothing that was easily available. So she started to form a company around the nanny tax business. A little idea turned into a big business. She grew it to $18 million and sold it to Care.com for $50 million. But her parents, her in-laws, and every friend she had said, oh, women aren't entrepreneurs. Oh, you can't do that. And she self-funded it. No venture capital money there. Because quite frankly, she knew exactly how to run the business so that it could grow. And she created a culture that was really aligned with her clients. And, and then there's Evelyn Medvin, who's a geoscientist. She was one of the first four people who went into a Citgo program on the geoscience, first four women on the geoscience and, and she created a whole amazing career. People would say, oh, you just fuel oil. And she talks about going down into Latin America with the guys. Because the guys said, you know, women can't do this. You can't go in the field. What will you do? And they actually, when they went out into the field, someone actually went out and made a chair for her and brought it back because all there was there to sit on were logs. 
And they, they felt badly for her. But she had a knack of finding where the oil was and became very successful in something that women don't do. And now she's working again to help women in the geosciences. But only 16% of the geoscientists are women. And it's a fast growing field. So there's a lot of opportunity. Every one of the chapters is about somebody who said, of course I can, and how they did it. And one of my, my favorites in there is Maria Gallo, who took on a, um, a university that was struggling. There's a theme. Jane Fraser going into Citibank. Maria Gallo going here. Kathy Solard taking over a hospital. Every one of these women were brought in when the guys didn't do so well. And then all of a sudden they're brought in to turn around a problem as if they are capable of doing what the fellows before them, and they're usually before them, couldn't do. And they're not quite sure why. They think that a woman should have magic. Is there a magic potion we bring along? But it's a real interesting, and as the book came together, I began to realize that other women might want to rethink their own lives. And so I wrote at the end a toolkit. You know, how do you rethink where you are? I'm an executive coach as well as a consultant, but many of my women clients are stuck or stalled. They got somewhere, working with an MBA CPA, partner in an accounting firm, and never wants to do another tax return. Another woman whose business got wiped out with the, um, the pandemic and is not sure how she wants to reinvent herself. What makes her happy? What gives her purpose? And what I'm finding is that many women want to rethink where they are and how to take the next stage of their life and make it. And the word purposeful, passionate, purposeful, meaningful, a little more self-care keep coming back. It's as if I took care of the business side, but that's not sufficient. And I think that purposeful businesses and purposeful lives have become a real theme, both for guys and for women. Um, and so my end of my book is a bit of a how-to, and I've turned that now into an online course called Rethink with Andy Simon to help them do it on their own. What's happening is they're starting and they're saying, can you help me again? There's a, a um, well, I only have so many hours. So the problem is how do I help Many, many, many women and men begin to rethink where they are, where they're going. So that's become my purpose and my passion. And I have a hunch that you're, I'm watching your face, you're saying, wow, there's something interesting here, huh? Well, there's a million questions. Um, you know, some of them actually can be a little uh, inflammatory. I hate to say it, you know, I mean, because I'm a male, you know, some of it's, you know, like the, when the women come to you that you want to coach, or, or, um, I, you know, excuse me for being blunt. I tend to be that way. Do you find that they use the excuse of, well, I'm a woman and I can't, I couldn't get this done, or I am an African American and I can't get this done because of racism no. or, you know, or, or, you know, you, you, I'm sure you get my drift, but going across the board, no. you know, um, do you find that, that, that could be used as a as a excuse. Well, I will say I never say never, um, but I will tell you that many, many, many women tell you now. Don't put a, an adjective in front of me. I'm not your diversity person. Hire me because I'm talented. I can do yeah. a great job. And stop calling me a woman leader. I had an interview um, two weeks ago, and she said, "Tell me about women leaders." I said, "No, let's talk about leaders." Why do I have to put a caveat on the front? There are different kinds of leaders. There are guys who are collaborative and women who are. Uh, I think that the your point you're making, though, is that uh, uh, to some degree, it's two-edged here. I've been hearing stories about guys who are angry that we're putting women on boards instead of another guy. How come they're putting them on? Because they're a woman. 
well, is that fair? I don't know. And then I've heard white women say, how come they're putting that woman on because she's a black woman? It's not hard to begin to be um, in that status and hierarchy world where um, we rank each other and we find reasons for the ranking. It's hard to find a tangible when you look at the intangibles. And, and so it becomes an interesting time. Um, but I think that there's going to be a sea change. There's a whole movement of he's for she's, of guys who really want to change the conversation. And remember, this is all conversational intelligence, you know? And, and to your point, if I'm going to build a diverse workforce, I can't do it by just simply finding a couple of people to fill the diversity slots. I got to change the way people interact. Um, one of the women in the book, Jamie Candy, um, after George Floyd, they're in Minneapolis. She completely changed the comp- composition of her workforce. She had paid no attention to it. And she's now diversified it so it's virtually balanced, but she's training people on how to get along in, in diverse groups. You know, I'm an anthropologist. You right. know, you and I are different. Um, but I could be on Samoa and you could be in the Trobrand Islands. We would be different. And when we come back together, we don't have any idea how to interact properly. Um, you know that mergers and acquisitions, you are in business. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of work in the M&A world because the cultures that come together clash. And in fact, they don't even know what the cultures are, much less how they clash. And then you add on that the male, female, the sexual diversity, all the other pieces. And humans are just complicated creatures. It's hard for us to get along. So uh, going back to the idea behind you're, you're bringing a, uh, someone to coach in or any of the people you kind of studied what, what are some of the things that you kind of want to understand about the person before you, you know, kind of come up with a strategy? Well, I do think that the past, we're futurists. It's very important to think about the future because that's how we live today. But the past influences that perception of it. And so I often just ask them to tell me their stories. We live our stories as you live yours. And, and, and I listened to one of your um, uh, radio um, interviews. And, and in fact, it's extremely important to understand our stories because out of the stories come the things that matter, extremely important to us, how they craft our lives. Uh, and so I start there because if I don't start there, then I have nothing. They have nothing. And we work on the story. Now, what would they like the story to become? And you know something they often don't know. They know they don't like where they are. But the question is, now, where are we going and how can we begin to think about it? The way the brain works, it does exactly what it thinks you want it to do. And it loves the current story. What's the familiar? What the mind doesn't know is what you imagine you would like it to do. So we spend a lot of time imagining what that future ought to be. And then we can begin to find small steps to get you there. And it works the same way in organizations. What do you imagine you'd like this culture to become? I have two leadership academies and two clients of ours. And the culture change question is a big one. But the reality is nobody knows how to change. They don't like to change. And it's hard to begin the process of change. But we do it a little at a time because then you become comfortable and you begin to move it along. And I think that's what's going on in our entire culture today. Small steps toward a different kind of relationship. And I'm excited by it. And I bet you are, too. Yeah, I am. I, I, I love uh, the future. I, I love, I, you know, I'm always, uh, you know, I think we're going to make a lot of progress with the, even the gender issues you're talking about. I think we've made a lot of progress in the last 50 years. So I know. Uh, so let me ask you this. Let's let me jump ahead a little bit. Um, 
I, I'll, I'll let you in that I usually hire, uh, I, I like hiring a, a lot of women. Uh, I, I find that they're smarter, they're talent, more talented, they communicate better, they're more driven. Uh, so I, I often hire a lot of uh, women to work for, uh, with me or for me. And um, it's worked out well over 25 years. Uh, my second in command uh, for, uh, for several years, it, it was extremely talented and, uh, and uh, did a great job for me. But, uh, but uh, as, as a male, how should I be a better uh, person um, with both uh, a variety of people who aren't male? Well, I have a hunch you intuitively understand that that second in command grew with your mentoring and your coaching. You trusted them, mm -hmm. right? And I do think trust comes first, regardless of what flavor they are. Yeah. Um, you you found them trusting. You could um, you could empower them to take risks and know that they would, by and large, make the right choices and decisions, whether they were a woman or a man or LGBTQ or whatever. There was a something there that took it past the idiosyncratic into um, a bond, a trust of some kind. So to answer your question and for your listeners, um, see the role you can play in helping that person um, become the best they can be so that you can do the same. Because the second in command is essential for you to be able to be a visionary, to see where you're going, to make sure the operations get done. They play a different role. Um, but if I had to make the metaphor of a play, Everyone plays a different role on the stage, but if they don't all play it well together, there's no applause. And I just think that you have an intuitive, and so many of the guys I'm working with today really do intuitively understand that I need those women, men, and others, and I need us to play on a team. But one thing I do know, though, is that we have to talk to each other a lot. And I do know that if you don't tell the story over and over again of expectations, people will make one up. And so it's hard for people, particularly in this remote world we're in, to realize that more video is better, talk more often, even have casuals. But, but you know, we're humans. We need to hear what you would like, and we need to get the praise and celebrate when it's good, because that's what we remember. We need direction and mentorship. Uh, sponsorship and mentorship have become big topics. But just take care of each other. One of the women in the book, Babette, said, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a sponsor. I just took care of myself. In some ways, you want people who can rise to the occasion, yeah. adapt, and succeed, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think you need to be a you know a a female or a minority to want a mentor. I had a mentor for twenty years. You know, I think mentorship in general, of course, is really important, especially what's in your when it's in your field. Okay. You know, uh, so you know, and in fact, I would say, you know, part of my success has, has a lot to do with that, with that mentor I had for 20 years. Um, and, and plus, you know, also a mentor is somebody who keeps you sane a little bit yes. too, you know, but you want to talk to, right? Yeah. It's really, that's the most important thing. You know, I, when people say, well, what did he teach you? I said, well, one of the things he did was he gave me a lot of encouragement. You know, I mean, I, when I started my first company, I was 30 and, um, you know, at the time, I think he was 66 and there's nothing, to, you know, nothing more that's important than snow on the roof, you know, yes. gray hair, because they've kind of keep things in a little bit more better perspective. They've been there. They don't get riled as much. And he, he stayed to my, he stayed uh, a mentor for me till he got into his eighties. So, 
um, which was great. It's great for me. And honestly, it was probably great for him too. Um, so, so if you are a, a, a you know, I, I want to go back to the statistic that you said about 17% of the women uh, who are at law firms are partners. And, 27%. You know, it's oh, 27%. 27% last I looked, it was 27%. 27%. <laughs> are there, is there, and let's just use this as a, as, a, as a little microcosm or an example. Uh, is there, are there other reasons to explain why, uh, Women are in 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 a partnership like that are not or say are not moved into are not partners. Are there other reasons to explain it? Well, I guess you could ask the women uh, whether they have uh, really wanted to be of climbing the right ladder. I do think, though, that um, by and large, moving into the um, leadership roles of organizations, regardless of what kind. Uh, requires people to open the gates and let them through a little bit and test their places. Um, one of the things that we're working on through the Women's Business Collaborative and Association, a collaboration that I belong to, is how do we get more women into the C-suite? <clears throat> They're typically brought in, and even people I know who are women CEOs, they have women in HR, marketing, soft areas, but not in the operations, the P&L, um, not even in the chief financial officer role very often. Um, one could say, how come the women haven't moved and developed in those areas? Or how come we haven't developed them into those areas? In banking, I have a friend who recruits for banks, and I was a banker for 14 years. <clears throat> I made it to the EVP level and then hit my head on the glass ceiling. Most bank presidents are men, and they complain that there's nobody in the pipeline to move up into a senior position. But they haven't done anything to grow them into that senior hmm. position. So it's, it's really, your question is a very good one, um, because we're looking for reasons why, could be the women, um, that they haven't found a track that get them there, they haven't been moved up or tried to move up. There's always two or multiple sides. Um, but I do think that if we do want to fill the pipeline, and that's a funny word, that, that talent pool, so that we can expand the number of women who can move into leadership roles, um, we're going to have to be intentional about it. We're going to have to develop them, sponsor them, and find ways of moving them. Some research showed that men get sponsored by someone in the senior place to move up, and women get mentored to do a better job at where they are. True? Not sure. But I do know I have a, a friend, and Kip Wright has a large staffing firm, and he's working on how come all of his recruiters are women and all the managers of the offices are men. He said, what what, what have I done? And, and so... And on the other side, I don't want to disenfranchise men. I'd rather begin to see us collaboratively trying to figure out the best team to get the job done and and how to ensure that we have a nice mix of diverse ideas and also different lifestyles and kinds of things to bring it in. You know, the data is so compelling that companies that have a nice mix in that both the boardroom and the C-suite do really well. And aren't damaged at all. Even IT companies, you know, with women leaders do really well. And um, maybe it's time we step back and say, okay, how do we capitalize on that and enable them? Uh, and I don't think the pandemic has been kind to women at all. We're talking about a she recession or a C-session where they've lost a lot of jobs, mostly male management, but some in upper, um, some in the in the trenches. And, and uh, uh, I, I just think that, you know, our talent is required. 
um, because I think our society needs ideas and they need it coming from all kinds of places. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, you know, I started my career uh, off for the first eight, eight and a half years at Xerox and, you know, Xerox has always been a very progressive company in regards to, um, uh, diversity, uh, you know, and we're talking about, you know, this is 30 years ago. And so I had that training and I, and this is 30 years ago. So that was, you know, they were really ahead of their time. And, uh, you know, and, and then after Xerox and I just started my entrepreneur career uh, for 25 years. So uh, I didn't really get that training anymore. And now it's, you know, diversity training is so common, you know, I mean, you know, I try to get all my information now, of course, from reading and from whatever. So, you know, I, I try to stay with it. But you're you're right in saying it's interesting when you said, you know, how many males are mentoring females in their companies? And boy, that's a that, that took I took a step back on that one. I was like, you know, my second in command, that was different. You know, she was my second in command and we were, we were still, you know, we uh we became extremely close. And so I, I don't know. I just didn't look at her to be honest with you as a woman. I I looked at, you know, I looked at her as my partner, so to speak, you know, just. You did right. Yeah. I mean, I just don't look at that. I don't say that's a woman, that's a black man. That's a, that's a, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't look at things that way. I never have. But as you look into your organization and you're looking at your talent development strategy, um, are we intentionally emphasizing some versus others? I mean, you, you, you've got a businesses to grow. And, and I, I think that it's interesting today that there are 12 million women-owned businesses. 40% of the businesses in the U.S. are owned and run by women. And, and now the question is, how do people vendoring to them um, relate? I have a, a friend who has a whole program to try to help women buy from women. Um, I, I'm not sure what the right model is going to be. Um, but you're raising a good question. You saw her as a second in command that was talented, not as a woman in second command. And I Correct. think that's what we're going to have to do. Yeah. The only other thing I would say is uh, that's just the way I view things. But I think it's important for me to understand how she views things. Yes. <laughs> because you 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 put out the picture about history. Someone, everybody has a history. Yes. You know, everybody's gotten jaded one time in their lives or more than one time. And, you know, certainly I have, certainly everybody has that all influences us, you know? And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, you know, always need to be more cognizant as, yeah, I may not feel that way, but she may feel uh, different and I need to be cognizant of that. So, you know, there's always work to be done and uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I want to ask you a question that's a little bit uh, – it's not off topic, but it's, I'm curious about it. How do, you, how do you think they prove that diversity in a company is um, – uh, it, it produces better results? Do you think they just look at the numbers of the company uh, versus their competition – yeah. Is that what they is that, is that what they basically do? They say, That's well, there's fifty percent women here. There's only twenty five percent women here, but this company's in the same industry and they've they've grown eighty percent, and this one hasn't grown at all. Is that right. is that how That's they're doing it? Yep. Yeah. So the, the the what stood out with you about the women that you that you interviewed for the book, and that women that you speak to in general, what what stands out to you uh, about you know this topic in general? The, the, the thing about the women 
um, and 50 plus of them, is the humility. Um, there were no braggadocious. Uh, it wasn't about I did this. They were all very we focused. Yeah. Um, and they were, um, they were growing uh, to achieve something important, not just for them, but for others. Uh, and I do think that as you, as you read their stories or as I listen to them, I was touched by the, um, the humility that came through. It was uh, very much about wanting to share their story so others could benefit by it. it and, and as they, they talked about their story, every one of them talked about how they enabled others to succeed in, in different ways. And I just was, I think that there's something there that's contagious. What do you think uh, causes that humi- humility? Causes it or enables it? I don't know. You're asking a good question. I never thought about what causes it. There's a view of the world that they have in their stories, which makes them part of something bigger than just themselves. There's not a lot of, of profit. Remember I said to you, the women who have become financially successful but are unhappy, it's not about the finance. It's not about the degree or the job. It's about more. It's giving back. It's finding ways to enable others to succeed. There's not, I could say there's something in the feminine, but I think there are guys who do this all the time and, and care a great deal about it. Um, but I do think they're ri- these women rising into positions of influence and power are beginning to um, change the conversation. There was a long time where women were the bitch in the office. You know, they were the ball breaker. They were the ones who tried to overcompensate for who they were in a male world by being tough as stronger than. I think that's dissipating today as women are helping each other and helping the guys as well. I, mean, I think there's a desire to belong and not to, to own. And so that would be my, my observations. I was touched by their stories. And as I selected the ones to put in, it wasn't fully diverse and it wasn't, you know, all from different backgrounds, different industries. I just thought they had stories that were meaningful and could share with others who would get inspired by it. I had one reviewer and this gentleman gave us five stars and he said, my gosh, I finally have a book I can give to my minority teenager. It isn't just a plastic bag floating around, but they're real people who have done real things that she can imagine herself doing too. I went, bingo, that's the book. So I'm going to ask you two last questions because uh, our time is running out. And uh, the, the first one, and I know we've covered the topic a little bit. And uh, how can, uh, if you were an aspiring woman, either executive or an entrepreneur, um, you know, this, this, uh, this uh, podcast is about entrepreneurs. So maybe we should just focus on entrepreneurs. What is the number one recommendation that you would give to a woman who's an aspiring or is an entrepreneur? One, um, I, I think that um, the most important thing for a woman entrepreneur is to think about the numbers. I know that sounds bizarre, but um, I'm actually doing a program this afternoon for Washington University, a panel on making capital friendly for women entrepreneurs. The thing that I find, and my banker friends do as well, is that the women avoid the numbers. And I really do think that as an entrepreneur, you can think about your products, your customers, your staff, but if you don't own those numbers and realize the power of them, you are missing the key ingredient for success. 
Because I do think that the trends are there, the indicators are there, and the people who are going to bond with you and finance with you and grow with you want to know that you own those numbers. And that's probably not what you might have expected, but it isn't touchy-feely. It is hard facts. If you don't get your numbers, nobody will trust that you can grow the business. Andy, there's your next book. Yes, really. I <laughs> uh, if you can big if you can make that topic big enough, I would tell you that the number one most important thing in entrepreneurship is knowing your numbers because honestly, you can get pulled every single direction. You can get pulled towards your customers, you can get pulled during your employees. You can get pulled toward your strategic direction. I mean, it's, you know, it's a little we uh, weird saying that, but strategic direction. You could get pulled up in customer service and all this, you yes. know, all this stuff. And when it comes down to the numbers tell you if you're doing good and if you're not doing good. Yes. And so that is, boy, did you hit the nail on the head with that. And that is a good next book. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. And then now the, the last question I have how can uh, us as males, and I know we just, we did touch upon it, of course, how can males be better uh, uh, employers? Uh, how can we be better men? Uh, uh, you know, what, what can we do? Number one thing, what can we do to be uh, more cognizant and aware of, uh, of women's uh, in, in business? You know, you said something before. I really don't know the perspective from my number two. Listen, I do think that listening is something in great need right now. You know, just go talk and listen. Let them tell you. And we're storytellers. Just listen to their stories. Don't answer them for them. Don't be, you know, don't, don't give the wrong feedback around them. Um, if you can listen to them tell you the stories of how are they doing, where are they going, and just let them be trusting enough to talk to you, you're going to find ways to add mm, quiet help, intentional help, suggested help, and they will feel like they have a partner in growing. And if our job is to help grow them, they could use a hand. And that's really what you have so much knowledge and wisdom. When you share it on your podcast or when you're interviewed, I go, wow, you really know how to do this. Who else could benefit by this? And um, I don't know. It's just a pleasure meeting you and talking to you because I'd love to share you. Well, that's nice of you to say. You know, when, when it came to my uh, comes to my second in command, um, and she's been with me a long time uh, with two different companies. Um, the, the thing that I think going back to what you're saying is I think the old school male thinks uh, work is work and personal life is personal life. Right? <laughs> and I think, you know, the new generation forget what sex you are and whatever. They're not, they're transparent. Yes. Right. And, uh, and, and it's funny, I actually said to my 20 year old, who's a very 21 year old the other day, he was a very bright guy and very talented. I mean, he's a junior at Boston university. He's had s seven internships already. Wow. And, uh, he's working actually a full-time job right now for a company. Um, and he's going to go back to school in September. But, um, I said to him, you, you, it was a little old school. I said, when you go to your job, you have to be a little bit of an actor. You can't let everybody know everything that's going on in your life. And you have to play a part because politics are such a big part of moving up an organization. My point being is um, I think old school males, they don't want to hear about your personal life. Right. And I wasn't that way. I, I, but I am cognizant of like, I can't just say, I can't just say to any of my employees, well, tell me how you've gotten hurt in your life. 
You know, you just can't say that. And so, you know, one of the things, um, you know, you have to have those opportunities where people feel confident to disclose to you that, 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 uh, that they're concerned about something and you got to look for those avenues and I'm not going to get into, you know, how I, how that does that, but. Well, you know, I, 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 one of the programs I work on, I teach us feedback and feed forward. How do you help somebody receive the feedback that you want to give them, but how do they also help craft it so they can go forward and do something to change? And if your son is at Washington university in St. Louis, yes, that's where our program is. And I'm, it's an awesome school. Good for him. Yeah, they. Um, uh, the, the other thing I would say is uh, the one thing I would say is find time to spend time with your people one on one. Yes, you know, I like agree. I learned that through uh, the entrepreneur organization, and I, I went to something called Birthing of the Giants. It was a three year program at MIT for entrepreneurship, and uh, one of the things that came out this is twenty years ago uh, was take your when you take your employees out to lunch on an individual basis. Yeah. That's when things start to open up. Right. They're not going to tell you at work and you yeah. know, you just get to know each other. I'm not saying you have to dive into their innermost problems, but, but you're right. I mean, you want to have enough of uh, a relationship so they can trust each other, but the culture is changing today from one of command and control. I'll tell you what to do. Please be obedient. Yeah to far more collaboration, clans, and very creative ad hoc, and much more empowerment and risk-taking. And when you work on culture change, you realize that, that that's what the world wants and that there's a, there's a, I've done enough research on it to know that both men and women would like to better work together as opposed to be told what to do and hope it works. And so there's a whole lot of change coming. Well, I, honestly, I think it's playing right into women's hands because women's tend women tend to be much better collaborators, yes. um, and uh, and I think that that's been going on. But I think it's you know plays right into their hand. But I think your comment about you know if you want to be a great entrepreneur, focus on the numbers. I mean, it crosses all barriers. But boy, it, it, that that really is a smart one. So. <laughs> All right. Very good. So, you know, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Andy, thanks for coming on. It was a great podcast. I knew it was going to be. Um, so I would like to thank so very much Andrea or Andy Simon from Simon Associates uh, Management Consultants for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business or your nonprofit, you can call us at 862 207 4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Andy, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? I think the easiest thing always is take a look at our websites. Um, AndySimon.com, that's A-N-D-I, Simon.com is where my books are and our programs. And SimonAssociates.net is all of our business stuff. And there's a ton of information there for you to download and enjoy lots of videos on YouTube. Um, But both of them have contact places that you can reach us. And uh, we enjoy the conversations and we love to share these kinds of, of podcasts. You're a great interviewer. Thank you. Thank you. It's a good. It's a very good website, by the way. I, I spent some time on it. Very well laid out. Really great information. Um, so, uh, if if our listeners are interested in getting any uh, other business ideas or just you know experience from a serial entrepreneur, um, I tweet daily about lessons for business owners at s halasnik s h a l a s n i k. 
And for all those who are listening out there, I just want to thank you for listening. And just remember, uh, the most important thing in business is keep an open mind. Uh, don't get set in your ways. Understand that we all have uh, our lives and your employees and your staff have lives. And you, sh if you want to gain their loyalty, you have to listen and uh, pay attention. Everybody have a fantastic day and enjoy.